Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. Have a beautiful week. The mindfulness bell is like a wake-up call for the soul. When I hear the bell ring, it just says stop and enter into your heart space and consciously take an inhalation. And with your exhalation, let go of whatever it is that you need to let go of. Sometimes it might be a thought pattern that seems to be driving you crazy or an emotional response to something that has happened. But with the beautiful tool of the breath and the sweet sound of the bell, we can realign ourselves to the holy instant of now. Then take inventory. Who am I? How can love show up in this moment? Sometimes forgiveness is required. Sometimes acceptance is required. Sometimes change is required. We all know how difficult it is to change. My teacher said the only one who embraces change is a baby whose diaper is wet. And then of course we can laugh, but there is something sweetly true to that uh, reflection. We get stuck in a pattern and we identify with the pattern until we stop identifying with it. And so as we go into daylight savings time, maybe there's an opportunity to shift within, to up your schedule so that you're no longer in the basement, but you've moved up to the first floor. Someone reminded me this morning in our revealing service about how amazing the moon was this week and how the earth is bursting forth with flowers. And so when you know yourself as an earthling, but also as a citizen of the universe, you can feel this connection (coughs) to the galaxies and the stars and yet to the heartbeat of the mother, the earth. And so we smile. On the Zen calendar yesterday, it was John Muir, the environmentalist. And he said, every time I try to separate something and identify with it, I come to realize that it's hitched to the whole universe. Everything is hitched to the universe. I love that word hitched. Emerson uses that word when he says, hitch your wagon to a star. So could we play with the universe in a manner in which we know that we are connected to everything, that we're not separate? 
that there's only one life and that life is God's life, spirit's life, and it is outpicturing in multiplicity. And as the indigenous people in their wisdom knew, these are all our relations. And so people were reflecting how they're listening to the birds squawking in the air, speaking to one another. Spring is here and you can feel it in the garden. It's alive. As we entrain ourselves to the life that's all around us, we experience what I'm speaking about in this month of March, which is the way under the way. In Taoism, they call the Tao the way. But in the Tao De Ching, they say the Tao is the way, but the day, T-E-H, is how it manifests through all creation. So each one of us uniquely is the way under the way of the Tao. It expresses uniquely through each one of us. And so in the Tao Te Ching, they say, be who you are. Don't try to imitate or to try to be something that you're not, but be the authentic expression of the soul. And as Ernest Holmes would say, we are here for the delight of God. So how would this divine presence delight in itself through you? And we've all been given this gift called a human life to express and reveal our spiritual magnificence. Nothing less will do. And we smile to that call to be who we are. So grateful for this life. This morning when I woke up, I noticed that it was March 12th on the calendar. And memory came back that five years ago on March 12th, I had this massive heart attack. I was wearing the same shirt that I'm wearing today. I call it my lucky shirt. And with only 2% Surviving the Widowmaker, I was one of those two percents. So I sit here with gratitude in my heart. I've been given another gift. This life is so precious. And so I invite you to open your eyes and to step into this space with me as we reflect on the great opening the great opening that life is offering us in every moment, in every breath, wherever you are, whatever your circumstance. It's not about having the Pollyanna existence that we think will make us happy, but it's right in the midst of the heart attack that you can find the grace. And that morning is so, so vivid because we had planned and we're leaving tomorrow to do the same exact thing we were gonna do five years ago, to go away on spring break. And so the car will be packed tonight and I will get up in the morning on the 13th and we will head out. We had three dogs at the time. Now we just have the one. But on March 12th, five years ago, it was a Monday morning and I got up and I went downstairs and I had a nausea feeling. And then there was a pain in my back and I, because I was a yoga teacher, I did my stretches thinking a good stretch will align my spine and I'll be fine. But it got more severe and more severe. And so I called Gigi because I know she gets up early and I was sharing her what was going on with me. And she says, David, I think you're having a heart attack.
So then I called a doctor in the center and she said, oh, just have a good bowel movement, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, I'd already had the bowel movement and the pain was still there. So I went upstairs, my husband was showering. I said, honey, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he said, oh, you're not gonna ruin another vacation for us, are you? You always get sick when we go on vacations. And I were in New York, I had the pain. We went to San Francisco, I had the pain. I think this had been speaking to me for a while and I hadn't been listening. And so I fell on the bed and I fell on top of baby's back. And I remember thinking, that's my dog. I said, well, I have to die. I'll die in her arms. And then he said, okay, okay. He said, well, before we head out, it's 5.30, 6 in the morning. He said, let me drop you off at the emergency room. Go in and see if there's anything true to this. And he said, but let's walk the dogs first. I said, I think you should walk the dogs while I go and check this out. So I go in and you know what? They want you to fill out forms. It's 6 a.m. in the emergency room. And I remember my knees buckling. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm on the gurney and they're all wearing those little blue outfits that they wear and they're tearing off my clothes. And I remember thinking, I haven't had my clothes torn off in maybe 30, 40 years. <laughs> and as I'm being wheeled out on the gurney, um, I, I, I remember thinking, I haven't told the people that I love them. And that's the thing, if I have to go, I haven't said I loved you. And then I remember that people in the blue outfits, they said, where is your husband? Because I put on the thing I'm married. I said, he's out walking the dogs. <laughs> and so he was out walking the dogs and he gets a phone call and they said, where are you? He said, I'm out walking the dogs, who are you? And they said, your husband's having a procedure. You need to get over to the emergency room. And miraculously, they didn't tear the shirt that I was wearing. And so now my lucky shirt is here with me five years later to say that I'm so grateful to be alive and that I've fallen in love with life at a, a whole different level. And so what might appear to be a bad thing was a sacred thing. I got rid of my king size bed and now I have a whole new ticker. And I tell you that pain that was chronic for so long, it totally went away. So I hadn't been listening to the messenger. So could we listen to our body because it's always speaking to us and the body never lies. One of my heroes on the spiritual journey is a man named Mark Nepo and he had cancer twice and nearly died. And he wrote a little thing about falling in love with life when they tell you you're lucky to be here. It kind of upset me a little bit, but that's good. He says, there is no end to love. He said, that place opens within us. It's like a fist that's no longer strong enough to stay closed and the ache returns. Thank God, the sweet and sudden ache that lets us know that I am alive. He says, the rain keeps misting my face. What majesty of cells assembles around this luminous presence that moves around as me? How is it that I'm still alive and that I'm still here? He was told that he wasn't supposed to survive too. Cancer twice survived it. Each thing touched, each breath, each glint of light, each pain in my gut, is cause now for praise. I pray to keep falling in love with everyone that I meet, with every child's eyes, with every fallen being who's getting up. Like a worm cut in two, the heart only grows another heart, Ms. Tia. And when the cut in my mind heals, well, then I grow another mind. Birds migrate and caribou circle the cold top of the world 
Perhaps we migrate between love and suffering, making our wounded, joyous cries alone, and then we make them together, and then alone, and then together. Oh, praise the soul's migration. I fall, I get up, I run from you, and then I look for you. I am again in love with the world. I'm waking up into being, I'm waking in to my humanness, and I'm waking out in the world to love. So, a beautiful reminder that you're still here. Could you fall in love with life, with the pain of it, with the joy of it, with the grow, growth experience that never ends? Someone sent me Marilyn Ferguson, a quote that said, transformation is a lifelong journey with no final destination. So we're all destined to keep transforming, to keep evolving, to keep growing. In a way, I think it's the wisdom of the heart that's flowering on the planet. I shared with you that beautiful book that my prayer partner sent me from Canada called uh, Nam Yam Ak, which means that we are all one. And about this indigenous person who was incarcerated, well, who was sent to a school, which was like incarceration, who came out a broken human being, but then heard a voice, not unlike yours, Cindy, sitting on the ground, and this voice says, you are loved and you matter and you have a purpose here. And so his purpose now is to share his journey of suffering with the world so that it can, the truth can be revealed and the reconciliation can happen. And it's happening throughout the world. So isn't this nice to know that we heal by meeting the darkness, not by running away from the darkness, by integrating all the wounded parts of ourself. That's the journey. And that everything is here for us on this journey. Everything, including the heart attack. Miss Tia, all that stuff that you carry on your shoulders is here so that we can grow and evolve. One of my favorite poets is a, a a beautiful man named David White. And he wrote a poem called Everything is Here for You, Even the Stuff That is Unpleasant. So I thought I would read that poem and I'll read it twice because the first time it kind of goes to the surface, but like with Bob's beautiful music, if you let it go, it'll penetrate your soul and it will show you maybe a way that we're not embracing everything that is here for us. Well, that can't be here for me. Well, that can't be here for me. You know, I remember when I was 20, two years old, and my first lover and I were gonna to go to Europe after we finished college. And we're in New York City and we're getting on the plane. And as we're getting on the plane with our year real pass for three months and everything, he says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving you. What, I said, and he said, I'm leaving you. You're gonna to have to go by yourself. So I got on that plane and I cried all the way over to London. And I can remember saying, well, where am I gonna go when I get there? I don't have my friend to company. He was five years older and I was 22, he was 27. And it was the best thing that ever happened because I found myself as this lost little kid journeying to nowhere, to now here, I found me. And it had to give up this identity with this other person. And you know the one he ran away with? He ran away with my husband of 50 years. So maybe he was an angel guiding me out of, I, the truth is stranger than fiction. Everything is here for you. David White, it's called Everything is Waiting for You. Your grand mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. A little bit like this is a drama we're living and you think you're alone, but you're not alone. He says, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness 
to the tiny hidden transgressions. We think our life is a problem that's filled with sin and transgressions, but what if he's pointing to something so much bigger? He says, to feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Huh? I can go in the basement and it's like a dungeon, but I'm surrounded by old photographs of friends, and some of my old journals and diaries, and I feel like it's all here for me, even in its dank, dark mustiness. So to feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you, at times, have felt the grand array, the swelling presence, and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. Anybody know what that solo voice is? That goes in your head and won't stop talking? It goes on and on and on and on until it doesn't. And you've observed, ah, there's the voice in my head. But I'm smiling at it now. Thank you for sharing. He says, you must note the way the soap dish enables you. <laughs> or the window latch grants you freedom. You know, Trey and I have a really old house and all the windows were sealed shut. And there was such an, a moment of liberation when we loosened up those old windows in this hundred year old house and thrust the window up and we got the fresh air. Notice how the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. I'll say that again. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. To, to be vigilant, to be attentive to the routines, to the habit energy. huh? And then say, is this what I want to do with that king-size bed my whole life? Or am I ready to change? And when that moment comes, it's so liberating. He says, the stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doorway has always been there to frighten you and also invite you. I passed a motorcycle this morning, Anastasia, and I was afraid and I thought, my beloved Anastasia is going to get on that thing. I hope, hope she's safe. Safe. It to frighten you and also invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Well, what does that mean, Hal? The speaker in your phone is the dream ladder to your divinity? Put on some good music, Adam, and t tell me what it means. He turns, turns me on to all this sacred spiritual music. And I'm like him. I play it in the house and I let it carry me in a flow. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. Put down the weight of your aloneness. Remember in the, in the Hopi prophecy say that the day of the lone warrior is over. It's not about you as the lone warrior. He says we're in the river together. You know, notice who's in the river with you. He says, keep your head above water. Always look forward. And at this time on your spiritual path, you cannot afford to take anything personally because it's not about you. And we are the ones that we've been waiting for, for this evolution on the planet, the Hopi prophecy. Put down your weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink and the cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. Even the tea kettle is saying you matter. You have value. I love you. Don't consider yourself alone anymore. You know, this old house that we have that's so sacred, 
All the floors were tiled by my student, Mark Accomando, and I feel the love in all the tiles. And most of the plants were planted by me. So I walk around the garden and I talk to Tallulah and I talk to Hermione and I talk to Lucy and all the many bulbs and the perennials, they're all my children. And it's so surprising. I've got old Napoleon in the pond. He's this ancient koi with little Josie. And Liam was over and he said, is that is that the baby of Napoleon? I said, no, no, she's his little lover. Gigi and Raul put the little Josie in with the big Napoleon. And now the two of them are inseparable. She's always under his belly, swimming around him, letting him know that he's not an old koi ready for the koi farm, but he's still all the birds and the creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. So everything, my beloved, is waiting for you. Everything. Go out and drink. Everything is waiting for you. Huh. So could we open to whatever that means in your life? I was sharing with the group earlier that uh, every spring I have this addiction to growing things from seeds. And uh, my sweet husband says, and your crop is always devastating. You spend more on the seeds and we never have a crop. And I said, but don't you understand? It's not to get the crop, it's to have the experience. And then I had this beautiful grace-filled moment when we went to Garvin's Feed and Seed and I found a pack that says free seeds that were on the floor of Garvin's and they put them in a manila envelope. And I dumped the free seeds out and there's every crazy seed on the planet. And I've been gardening for a very, very long time. And I said, what are these pink ones over here? Well, I turned out I planted them in a pot and I've got corn coming up in my window. Corn. <laughs> and then I've got, um, there were all these little black seeds and the city did some construction work around the sidewalk and they left a big area of dirt. So I just throw those seeds out from the free pack of seeds. Now, all of a sudden, kale and lettuce is growing out by the street that not, wouldn't have happened had I not found the free seeds and had the city not dug up. Everything is waiting for you. Everything is waiting for you. I've got the one-eyed pug in the stroller and dogs will come by and every now and then there's an unstable dog energy. But you know what the pug does? He just does the zen to them. They can bark and growl. He just zens on them. He just goes, you're having a tough time? <laughs> it's not my problem. Don't give me your karma. I don't want your karma. <laughs> what a teacher. And so when someone comes up to you and they're neurotic, you can just say, I, I don't want your karma. I don't want to go where you are. I know you're suffering. I know you're struggling. I know the world is an awful place and you want to fight against the system. But I'm not there with you. I'm with the pug in the buggy looking around thinking, well, I've got to have a dump pretty soon. And if you if you bounce me on the sidewalk, it kind of shakes me loose. And, and then he knows when I lift him out, he's so fragile. I have to literally place him on the ground. Today we were riding in the buggy and he hit a bump and he went flying out of the buggy and he landed on his head. And then <laughs> I know. And I picked him up and I, he looked at me, whoa, that wasn't very fun. And I said, I know, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident and I placed him back. I know. But everything is waiting for you to realign, as my friend Phil reminds me, this too is good, this too is for God, and I demand to see the blessing. I forgive everyone. I forgive myself. I forgive all past experience and forgiving everyone and forgiving myself. Well, then I am free. At 74, I am free. I'm no longer living in the prison of self-righteous resentment, but I've learned to find the grace and the gift and the beauty in all of that stuff. And I'm realizing this is all me. Every bit of it is me. 
I love watching nature shows and about the whales and the vanishing species. And I watched a thing on, um, was it uh, this remote island where these uh, lemurs are going extinct and um, Madagascar made me want to go to Madagascar to save the lemurs because the lemurs eat this tree, but then the banana farmers are cutting the trees down to have the banana farms and the lemurs are going extinct. And, and then some well-meaning souls in Madagascar said, but we're gonna lose our lemurs. And so they started to leave the one tree that the lemur eats, so that the lemur, a little moment, a little moment of in interconnectedness that we're all one. You move from the me to the we to the all. Amrit Desai must have had a son named Panache. And I was a student of Amrit Desai's years ago and I found this in my library. And he does this beautiful expression of soul. This book is called Discovering Your Soul's Signature, which would be the Tao, the day of the Tao Te Ching, which is the way under the way, your soul expressing. And he says, I came to realize the only way I can express my soul is to realize that the ocean of soul moves through all creation and it's the same, that we're the same. That this is the, the, the me to the we to the all. He gives you the all. So I'll give you a taste of this beautiful soul. He was raised in this from the time he was a little boy in unity consciousness. So he says, my connection to the divine has always come through all things. All my life, I have understood that the divine to be the infinite ocean that surrounds us, it washes over us, but it is also within us and it's outside us. That's what we call panentheism. It's not only all around us, but it's also within us. So he's describing his direct experience from childhood. So feel into this because he's transmitting himself to you. All of life is a transmission. This young man is transmitting this truth. So he says, um, it's within me and all around us. It's in the blade of grass. It's in the mouse that's scurrying through the field. It's in a sleeping baby. It's in the lines etched in an old woman's face. It's in the love that we feel, even in the pain, even in the sorrow, in every single facet of our existence, we are nearing the end of the experiential part of this journey. And this seems a good time to pose a delicious challenge for all of us. What if you were to um, live the entire day spread out before you in complete awareness of this infinite ocean that we all share. One day of saying, Tatuam Asi, I am that. I am the weed by the garden wall. I am the old oak tree that's fallen because of the wind. I am the koi in the pond and I'm the little baby koi loving the bigger koi. I am the worm that's slithering across the sidewalk. I am the moon and Jupiter reflecting back our celestial gravity. It's all the one. What if you were to see and feel the divine in everything you do today? Well, sounds like David White. I didn't read his poem twice, but everything's waiting for you. What if you knew that? He said, every person that you encounter is by divine appointment. Anybody read uh, Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield? The very first prophecy was that every encounter that you have on life is divinely intended. And the second prophecy is, and they all came with something to give you. So could we receive what they came to give you? What they might have come to give you is they might really piss you off. Well, they showed me my trigger. Everything comes is here for you. Every person that you encounter, every conversation, every interaction, every morsel of food and drop of drink is here for you.
You know, it's so funny when you get older, you become very conscious of what you put in your system. You know, I love to drink really fresh water that we filter. And I love to eat fresh vegetables. Trey makes homemade chicken soup, and then he cuts up fresh avocado and puts in the bottom of the soup. So when you finish your nurturing homemade soup, you get that little bit of avocado to say, I love you. What if it's all here, the food and the drink? Okay, every conversation, every interaction, every morsel of food and drop of drink, every moment of laughter. You know what's so amazing about laughter? It's the one thing that can set us free. It can liberate us from our self-inflicted nonsense. That's our acronym here for sin. Laughter can liberate us from self-inflicted nonsense. You know, we do that to ourselves. We can spiral out in some kind of nonsense. Oh, the world, nobody likes me. This is going to hell in a handbasket or my life sucks. Or we're not. So what if we have the opportunity in every moment the moment, the moment of laughter sets us free. Every moment of frustration or sorrow is here for us. It was so beautiful in satsang the other week. Jody was so upset. She had shared with the group that she'd been sitting by her friend Re Rebecca's uh, in the hospital room in hospice for the longest time. And she just wasn't dying and wasn't dying in so much pain. It was not an easy transition. And I said at the end of the satsang, let us do a treatment. To, to help Rachel set her free. And I called all the ancestors and the angels in. And I called um, all the ones that have been loved to Rachel. And we created a space for her soul to, and you know, within a couple hours, she's, she was free of this body that was no longer. What if you were to simply take in the entire world in the same spirit as if you had just walked into a holy place? Everything is holy now. Everything is holy now. Everything is sacred space. Wow, there is no spot where God is not. I really feel it. You know, I remember over here, this little garden is called the Vandana Garden. And Vandana was a young woman who came here, like so many do, and she was searching for truth. And a young woman with a little boy, she gets cancer of the gallbladder, and I help hospice her into the beautiful death experience, where literally I danced her into the light. I remember being there. And she was so much a part of this community that we created the Vandana Garden over there. And um, sometimes I see homeless people sitting in that little gazebo that we created. And the neighbor over there says, you hope you know that there's some homeless people sitting in the gazebo. I said, well, are they causing anybody any problem? I said, you know, maybe part of her gift was to create, and you know, Vandana in Sanskrit means prayer. So here's the Vandana Garden, the prayer garden, and the homeless are sitting in there. C'est la vie. What if you were to simply take in the entire world with the same spirit as if you had walked into a holy shrine because we are in a holy place right now. The divinity that you see outside you is the divinity that you see within you. It comes from that same place. When beloved Pam Hurdy came to our revealing service, she keeps talking about the magic that's everywhere. And I've known this woman for 34 years. She was a young mother when I came, ministry started, and she had two little kids. Now she's got three little grandchildren. And she brought the magic into our youth program, and she's still filled with the magic. And I realized the reason she sees it everywhere is because it's within her. That's what he's saying here. The divinity that you see outside you is also within you. So know this. He's saying, know this. And don't doubt it or question it just for this one day. So he's asking us, well, oh, just for one day? Can you see God everywhere? Can you be willing to consider the idea that this is good and this is God and this is here for me? Even if it's unpleasant, even if it means my 
king size mattress is out on the curb. You know, it's so funny. Everything is here for you. And Trey and I went up to Maine on July 4th. I think it was three years ago. And our old beloved dog, Bert, was really compromised. And Jody stayed at the house with him. And within three days, she euthanized him. And everywhere I went in Maine, I saw him. The day that she euthanized him, up running from the beach came a dog. Literally, the, the morning we went out and sat on the, the cliffs in Maine as we knew Jody. And Jody put the phone to my ear and down to Bert's ear. And I said, Bert, you know, I'll always love you and I'll always be there for you. And you'll always be there for me. Well, as soon as he took his last breath, there he was running up from the beach in the form of a dog that looked like baby speck. Uh, I go into J. Crew all of a sudden, and I'm wearing them right now, boxer shorts that are covered with a white dog that looks just like Bert. So I'm wearing Bert's boxer shorts. And then I saw this teddy bear that looked like Bert, a pillow with it. And so the white pillow with him is sitting next to my mother's picture in the bedroom in the love corner. So I feel his love. And then the next day when we get back from Maine, we're walking down the street. And what do you think the universe placed on the corner? A teddy bear that looked like Bert, a dog, sitting on the corner on an old bureau. Well, someone came and picked up the bureau and they left the dog that looked like Bert sitting on the curb. And Trey said, don't bring another whole thing home. It's just more trash. We have to take it. Well, I said, if that puppy dog is sitting on the corner, I'm bringing him home. So I go over. There's the little teddy bear sitting on the corner. So I took him and I placed him in the classroom and he sat there and sat there. And then Emily came and she was having a hysterectomy and she was in a lot of pain and she was crying. And I said, okay, Bert, you gotta go and sleep with Emily. I took Bert off the sofa. I said, here, Emily, you get to take Bert home with you. And so she went home and it was very traumatic time. She had infections, had to go back and forth. But who do you think was her constant companion? Was old Bert. He stayed with her and gave her that. Sometimes you just need a teddy bear to hold in your arms, I swear to God. I wanted to close with my teacher, Ajashanti, who reminds us that everything is grace. That whole experience with Bert and then finding the teddy bear was all grace. Me wearing the underwear that has Bert on it, um, it's all grace. And he has a way of saying it that uh, I think is so sacred. Oh, this is what really shocked me. Phil, you'll appreciate this. Ajashanti, at the end of this book, Falling Into Grace, and I've taught this many times, he says, beware when someone expresses true prayer. And he says, true prayer will manifest results lickety-split. And, you know, he knows nothing of religious science other than he's a new thought teacher in a very mystical sort of way. And he says, true prayer happens. Last week, I talked about what holds us, which would be the recognition of of, of this power. He says true prayer comes when you access this divine presence and then you don't treat for things. You say whatever life brings me, could I meet it with the highest awareness and say this too is good, this too is for God and I demand to see the blessing, whatever it is, the king size mattress, whatever. That's true prayer. So here's, here's Ajashanti giving us a little heads up and then we'll do our closing prayer. The power of a true prayer. He says, a true prayer. Uh, I should have my readers wait. Um, I'm talking about is a true prayer surrendering to a true opening where we know that we don't know where to go. And in that sense, it's a true prayer. 
And a true prayer is a very powerful thing. I often tell people, when you speak a true prayer, you'd better watch out because you're going to get what you pray for. When I did that meditation around Rachel and calling in the ancestors and all her guides, that was a true prayer because I had no clue. I just was opening up and giving her soul permission. And of course, she left within an hour. So when you speak a true prayer, you'd better watch out. I said that. Um, true prayer is one which is spoken or made when you open yourself to the entire universe from a place of not knowing and not expecting anything in particular. So when you came to Alabama for your ministry, you could say, I just open to whatever it wants to be. I don't have to outline how it's supposed to look. And then you trust that you're going to attract to you whatever is required for that thing to unfold. A titch more on the true prayer thing. I circled this paragraph. When we tell God what we want God to do, or we tell the universe what we want it to do, we're not really opening ourselves. We're still speaking from our egoic place. But when we confess our deepest heart's yearning and tell the divine that we're inviting it to give us anything we need, beloved, give it me whatever I need to assume the consciousness that's required to retire <laughs> or to whatever it is. Then you're open to whatever it might be. So um, give me anything we need to awaken. We very well might get it. Sometimes what wakes us up is a harsh slap from the universe. It's the, the two by four. It's the sword of Allah. I had the heart attack five years ago. If that's not a wake up call, I don't know what is. So to open ourselves to this grace, to this flow of truth, means that we have to step out of ourselves. <laughs> You know, the only obstacle you have is you. Isn't that nice to know? And you can change who you identify as. Emerson, we just finished teaching him. He said, it's only your finite self that wails and suffers. But simultaneously, there's this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose. And we can choose you this day who you will serve. That nattering nabob of negativity, that little one that's puling all the time. Or are you going to serve the one that's mystical? that can merge with the stars and the moons and the worm. We have to let go of the illusion that we are in control of our life. He thinks he has control. The illusion of control doesn't exist. That's my teacher. Um, when we hand it over, we'll find ourselves simply falling into the grace of the moment. Now, I love the idea of grace. It's all grace. And grace is the unmerited givingness of the universe. So it means you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be a good little kid and go to the Jehovah Witness Church and do all your whatever you do. No, you just have to have the earnestness of heart. And then it's given. Boy, do you have the earnestness of heart, Michael? Yes, you do. Well, then it's freely given. He says, when we hand it over, we'll find ourselves falling into grace, falling into this clarity and this openness and this love, falling right into the grace of awakening from separation, where we realize that our true spiritual essence, this beautiful, unknown, unborn presence, which manifests as everything that we see is, in fact, our own self. All the beauty you see in the world is you. Gosh, isn't that amazing? And then you can say, I am beautiful, you are beautiful, the whole existing universe is beautiful, ugliness is merely a manifestation of unhappiness. So when we're willing to see that all of this is our own self, you have to be so humble. So when my own self is suffering out there, 
Miss Susan, could I then do something mindful and kind? My, I had this little fearful husband and I love him so much. And one day I was doing the Sunday service and he was out cleaning the pond and we, we put a mesh over the pond because the leaves were falling in it. And a, and a garden snake had entangled itself in the mesh. And he spent that whole Sunday morning saving the snake's life by cutting the mesh, liberating the snake so he could slither away. Just so that the next day the neighbor saw the snake in her yard and she put it on her rake and threw it at me screaming and said, it's a snake. He's just trying to find a way in this world. You know, we live, we live at the foot of a mountain. Every now and then we'll see foxes. I saw a fox running from the lady's house across the street, across the street into my yard. And I let her know, I said, Nancy, I think you have foxes living in your cellar. And she says, well, better a fox than a rat. I said, well, better a fox than the rat, but I just want you to know we saw a fox <laughs> running from your house into our yard and, and it's all God, you know, when you see it that way, you know, it's all God. The other day uh, I saw a hawk sitting on the tree right above the koi pond looking at Napoleon and Josie. And I said, you can eat the chipmunks, but you leave the pond alone. No, scoot, 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 you know, but it, it, it's a garden, and in the garden, life feeds off life. That's just how a garden works. So, Raul, you want to go back to the bell, and we'll take them on a little... Thank you. Uh, oh, there's a new class starting a week from Wednesday, and it's going to be based on Ernest Holmes' book, This Thing Called You. Phil and I discuss what would be the most mystical of, of Ernest's books, and I think that one, I know it spoke to my heart when I was a young student of truth. So it's a small book, and it's a book going into this reflection on the divinity of you, and how it can meet the humanity of you and then enter into a world in kind of a proactive, positive, loving way. And you know, we're always working on ourselves. Remember, this is a transformation with no final destination. So at 74, I'm still working on myself. Isn't that nice to know? You never really get there. Beloved Raul, again, the mindfulness bell would have a stop. Look deeply. And then listen to that still small voice that doesn't get louder, but gets clearer when we become still. Remember the silent one, that part of you that is peaceful and silent and still. If you've meditated for a long time, you recognize that the silent one is the, where the wise one exists. The knower exists in the silence. And so even if it's for a brief time, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, if you touch one moment with pure awareness, you can touch all moments because all we ever have is the moment. And so let this be one of those moments where you get to touch that that chord within the heart that Emerson says all rings to the same truth. To thine own self be true and it must follow as the night, the day. Thou canst not be false to anyone if you're true to yourself. Ah, and smile. Recognize that you have arrived. You are home. In the peace that passes all understanding. You are home in the love that knows no other. You are home. In the awareness 
that all is consciousness out picturing. Ah. And then the awareness is awake and alive. Ah. And you experience the grace of being fully present to this energy of the one within you and all around you, not separate. As if we are in a, a field. Rumi says, out beyond the ideas of right thinking and wrong thinking, there is a field, this field of divine love. And he says, and when the soul lies down in that field, which is why we come together here, he says, words are not necessary. Even the idea, each other, does not exist. And then he has the courage to invite us by saying, I will meet you there. And so we meet in that sacred field of the one that knows no other. And it's enough to just arrive and to say, I am home. And then as the Bible would say, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the law. Because life will give you everything you need in advance of your asking. And so when life gives you a major growth experience, say thank you, life. May it enhance me so that I can serve at a deeper level. The great opening is right now. You are the one that we've been waiting for. So as that young man invited us for this simple day, could we see everything is here for us? Demand the blessing from life itself. You know, life is the greatest teacher. Huh. And so we smile at the life that we've been given. What a sacred life. And if you feel comfortable, place your hand over your heart chakra. And let's say to the self within the self and the self that's all around, I honor you. I respect you. I love you. You are the awakening presence of the soul. The oversoul of the one life. The Brahman breathing through Atman. The emerging awareness of truth. The felt connection to all life. The spontaneous innocence of a child. And the wisdom of an old pine tree. We bow to you. Nam Yang Ak. We are all one. Namaste. So it is. listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit 
C-S-L-H-U-N-T-S-V-I-L-L-E dot O-R-G.